Good morning, church. How are we doing? Okay. Um, welcome to today's training session. I hope you've been paying attention to the kids' talk because uh, we're going to get our Bibles out of their sheaths and practice with them. Um, we're about halfway through our Rise and Build series in Nehemiah. And our saw drill today, we're going to be looking at that ABC study format with the three R's. Um, let's put it into practice by doing a worked example of it as we go through Nehemiah 6. Um, so to do this properly, we've got to start at step one. We're going to ask. Um, so we're going to get our Bibles out in just a moment. But first, let's ask. This is about accountability. Last week, we opened Nehemiah 5. Nehemiah 5 calls, in Nehemiah 5, he calls his people to repent for exploiting the poor among them. Nehemiah reminds us to walk in the fear of our God and to express this in sacrificial love for our neighbours. And one of the practical steps that we're reminded of is how we can approach Easter and support a living wage for the 2.1 million slaves in the cocoa industry to respond to injustice and oppression. So I want to ask you, what did God say to you last Sunday? What action did you commit to taking? Who did you talk to it about? What did you do? This is what we're going to ask you again at the... We're going to ask you to commit at the end of our time together to what you're going to do in response to Nehemiah 6. So it wouldn't be right for me to expect that of you and not provide it for me. So for me, Nehemiah is a reminder to act first with prayer. But also, from Nehemiah 5, it is a reminder for our need for corporate repentance. Let me just fix this up for you. To come together as a community and declare that there are actions and attitudes that we have taken that are wrong and that are against God's way. We need to respond with repentance and seek to restore relationship with costly sacrifice. You know, during one thing that I do throughout the week is I regularly catch up with Nathan and we train using the ABC format. We open up God's word and we were looking at Ephesians 1 this week. And in Ephesians 1.15, there's a great prayer that has inspired my prayer for the church. It is that we'll be known for our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and our love for all the saints. Over the last few weeks, I've talked with members of our church who have shared with tears their concern and love for some amongst us that we've pushed away. Those that we've pushed away, particularly but not only our young adults. Let's try this one. who have struggled to come back because they have felt judged and gossiped about instead of being cared for, pursued, loved like Christ. 
we've sorted out our technical difficulties. We'll need more training in those too. We need to take responsibility for our sin and the sin that we've enabled in others. It is time for us to celebrate the missed presence when they come, that they've risked coming to church and that their choice says, I do want to re-engage. I wonder if you've ever been tempted to use comments like, it's been so long, or worse. These comments need to be swapped because it's been so long should be a rebuke to us, a rebuke that it's been so long since we've followed them up that it's been so long since we've reached out. Let's try, it's great to see you. How are you? And actually follow up that with questions with listening. It's one thing we, we often struggle to do. I'm so glad to hear, to see you're here. Even better, uh, when they've responded to an invitation that we've extended to them. It is right for us to pray. God, we are so sorry. Change us by your spirit. Grant us strength to do what is right, to trust you and love. Walk in the fear of our God. Help us to be a church known, yes, for our faith, but equally so for our faith expressed in our love for each other. It's exciting that God is at work in North Pine, and I hope we feel the responsibility but also the joy of being a part of this work. I also want you to think, if when you were asked to look back over this last week and your life looks no different today than what it did seven days ago, are you accountable for this? How can we help you be accountable for this? This week, did your sword just stay in its sheath? Our church will benefit from remembering the ABC drill. This starts by asking one another. God can transform our church when we ask. Okay. Now it's time for B. B for Bible, with the three R's. Our kid zone, yellow group and purple group in particular, uh, it's now your time to shine. I hope you've got your Bibles ready. Uh, I hope you've brought your sword. It's time to look up. Nehemiah. Chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Points if anyone can throw their hand up when they've got it. Grant, Zach, we've got some. Go, Jemima. Okay, let's read it together. Uh, We've got some fun names. We're just going to have some fun with them. So first R is for read. Now when Samblat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall, and that there were no breaches left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sambalat and Geshem said to me, Come, let us meet together at Hakafarim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm, and, they sent mes- and I sent messages to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they said to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sambalat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, 
It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you've also set up a prophet, set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is no king in Judah. And now the reports. Let me switch over. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come, let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you said have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they, wanted, they all wanted, us to, wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Metabelah, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood because, and I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Samblat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, O oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also make the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So take a moment. Look over the passage. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, um, get to know the person next to you who may. Um, if you've got a phone, you can look it up. If you don't have a Bible app on your phone, now's a great time to download one. Uh, the Holy Bible app is free, um, and it's got pretty much all the translations you could want. Um, so we're going to be thinking about retelling the passage. So it takes about three minutes to read through the passage. Um, so you've got a few minutes uh, to familiarise yourself. And I may ask you to retell it when we uh, come back in a moment.
Okay. So, Amora, are you ready to retell? I'll take care of that, though. So, Nehemiah tells three plots to make us, um, three plots that were to make him afraid and stop the build. Now, Nehemiah's team, they've rebuilt the walls, but the gates aren't finished. And the many, their enemies, they've heard that Jerusalem's defences are almost complete. So they scheme to get rid of the team leader, Nehemiah, to stop the build. So plot number one. Sembalat and Geshem invite Nehemiah to the plain of Ono. It's about a halfway rural point uh, between Jerusalem and Samaria. It's a great place to kidnap, to kill, or to, at the very least, it's far enough away to keep Nehemiah away from the work for about at least half a week. Now, Nehemiah, he knows that they intend to harm him. So four times they invite Nehemiah, and each time he responds the same way. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Nehemiah has a greater priority. So plot number two, Samblat and Geshem, they report they resort to a fifth attempt, and it's full of false accusations and blackmail. They want to scare Nehemiah into submission. They want to claim that his purpose behind rebuilding the wall is a Jewish rebellion. And worse, they claim that Nehemiah wants to be the king and that he's got prophets ready to make the announcement. And it comes with a not-so-subtle blackmail that this report will get back to the king of Persia. And the fact that it's an open letter means anyone along the road can read it as it goes there. So, come to the ambush site. Let's clear up this misunderstanding. Nehemiah's response, we will not be afraid. We will not be stopped. You are making this up. What you are saying isn't happening. And Nehemiah goes to God for, in prayer, asking for strength. Plot number three, uh, Tobiah and Sambalat then go for a sneakier tactic. They fail to bring false charges against him, so they now want to use fear to make Nehemiah sin by misusing the temple of God. They bribe Shemiah to prophesy a murder plot against Nehemiah to tempt him to hide away from the work in the temple of God. And Nehemiah will have nothing of it. He denounces this and other false prophets, calling upon God to hold them to account. So we have read, we have read told, now let's have God guide us as we reflect. So what does this passage say about God and about us? What is God saying to us? We're going to focus our reflection in this passage on the theme of opposition. We'll get to that in a moment. Be ready, kids zone. But before we focus on this theme of opposition, we're going to zoom out for a moment to get a bit of the big picture. So look up Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 8 to 9. Go, Sapphire. Okay, so what we want to keep in mind is that Nehemiah is a story that is bigger than an example of a leader standing up to fear. In Nehemiah 1, verses 8 to 9, it says, Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, 
saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, even if your exiled people are in the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. So the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem is a key point in a bigger story of God keeping his covenant promises. He's bringing the exiles home. And through Moses, the conditions of God's covenant were very clear. The unfaithful are taken away from God's blessing, but they're repentant. God is bringing them back to him, even from the furthest horizons. And Nehemiah, the book, it opens with corporate confession, with this prayer of the repentant. God is drawing exiles back from the to the place he chose to dwell in the Old Covenant, to Jerusalem, and specifically the temple. So Nehemiah sees God as the gracious architect of this whole build project, but also the bigger picture that is going on. And this picture is so important for us to keep perspective. Nehemiah's confidence in the face of opposition is not an object lesson in having enough strong will of character. It's a story... It's not a story of a leader being good enough to be used by God. It's a faith story. A story of a man who has faith in an incredibly and all-powerful God who is faithful to his people. And on the basis of this confidence, Nehemiah can move forward. So this passage tells us that God is our unfailing source of strength and confidence during opposition to completing God's work. This passage reveals more about what we can expect to experience. Follow God faithfully, opposition will come. So Nehemiah, he provides three lessons on opposition. Opposition will come in persistent distractions. Opposition will come in false slander. Opposition will come to tempt you to become self-absorbed, to be self-centered. So opposition will come in persistent distractions. And Nehemiah reminds us that we are so easily distracted Let's play a game. Uh, We're going to think about how many times a day, on average, people look at their mobile phone. Here's how the game's going to work. Everyone's going to start with their hand up, put it down when you think we've reached the average. Okay, Um, so everyone's got their hand up. Take it down when you think we've reached the average times that people look at their phone in a day. 10, 20, 30, 40... 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100. Okay. Uh, It works out that people look at their phones on average about 47 times per day. Um, And that's, if you're a young person, it's more like 82. Um, That means assuming you sleep about eight hours a night, um, about every 12 minutes you're looking at your phone, Um, which means you're probably going to look at it a few more times before I'm done. 
or at least once. I encourage you, make sure you are ruling your phone rather than your phone is ruling you. But it's not just our phones. There are so many things that we fill our lives with. We're experts at keeping busy. And many of them can be good things, but they're not always the best. Or they're not always God's plan and God's work. We need to respond like Nehemiah to all distractions. I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop when I come down to you? Now, the work for Nehemiah was to build a wall to secure Jerusalem, and it was for the purpose that reform could take place. Now, the dwelling place of God under the old covenant was being restored, but the work for us under the new covenant is different. Our building stones are not brick and mortar. We are to make a dwelling place for God, yes, but that is by making mature disciples of Jesus. So, kids, have a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 to 22. So Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus and he describes a great construction work or the great construction work of the new covenant in this way. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. That could be exiles. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. The bricks of God's dwelling place under the new covenant are no longer stone. They are lives, the lives of the disciples of Jesus. So we must guard God's great work today of discipleship from distractions. Dads, put down the remote, the phone, whatever the distraction is. Pick up a Bible. Train with the ABC Bible drill with your children, with your wife. I encourage you, use grace around the table at dinner to its fullest potential. Show your family real prayer to God. You know, it's amazing when you're around a table with little kids at it and there's that practice, that habit of pausing before the meal and praying and you're showing to them the priority that God, that spiritual time with God, spiritual food is greater than physical. Now, just that act alone of waiting can teach a four-year-old more about priority than perhaps any words that are said during that time. It was very cute. I got to see my little nephew do his first prayer on the phone to us. It was so cute. This week, I challenge you to commit to using the words of Nehemiah and follow them up with your actions. I am doing a great work. I cannot be distracted. Why should I stop the work and leave it and come down? Evaluate that thing that's demanding your attention 
doesn't make mature disciples of Jesus. And before anyone is tempted to abuse this, remember that taking out the bins, cleaning the toilet and the like are great examples of the servant discipleship of Jesus. Nehemiah stood firm in the face of distracting opposition because of his confidence in God and the great great work God had called him to. What message are you sending as you respond to distractions? God has called you to the great work of making mature disciples, starting with yourself and your family. So give God your priority. Take confidence that God's words are more important, God's work is more important than the many distractions we often succumb to. Our second lesson, opposition will come in false slander. Keep persisting with God as your priority and opposition will turn up the heat. Their blackmail puts Nehemiah under growing pressure. Remember, the rebuild had already been stopped once before out of fear of rebellion. Nehemiah is being dragged through the mud. I wonder if you felt like that person. Now, it's been a long time since Nehemiah was in the Persian court. Does he still have that king's favour to weather such a scandal, even though false? And the temptation to declare his innocence and defend God's project is very real. But remember, Nehemiah's faith is not in the favour of a Persian king. Nehemiah's confidence comes from much higher. Nehemiah, he gives these false messages no satisfaction other than to declare their message is false and made up. Distraction and false slander, these are a fear campaign designed to frighten, to stop God's work. We must give God our priority in the face of distraction and our trust in the face of false slander. We must cling to God in the same way that this guy is clinging to that rope for dear life. (laughs) And I love how Nehemiah responds both to the distractions and the false slander by going to God. Listen to his prayer. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. The more you identify distractions and declare I'm doing a great work and cannot be distracted, as you make mature disciples and false slander comes your way, we need Nehemiah's prayer. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Opposition will come to tempt you to being self-absorbed. When pressures from the outside don't succeed, there is one more fear paralysis tactic to try. Consume us from pressures within. The the plot was to make Nehemiah so concerned with himself that he would compromise his integrity by misusing the temple of God. But Nehemiah knows his status before God. He was not a priest set apart to serve in the temple, and he refuses to think so highly of himself and so lowly of God. 
He refuses to sin in order to avoid suffering. I like how one commentator put it. The house of God was not meant to be a hiding place from the harsh and sometimes harmful assaults of the world, but rather a haven where strength and vision are renewed so that the fight might be fought to the finish. I wonder, did you come to church this morning to hide or to be strengthened? We learn that we are prone to being paralysed by self-interest. We attempted to hide away from suffering, even if we have to sin to do so. We attempted to live in fear as if God is not sufficient protection. We can run away from even the potential of suffering. Kids, own. Look up Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my name. What comforts these words of Jesus would be to Nehemiah. What encouragement they could be for us if we dared to risk suffering for Jesus. God, strengthen us to complete your work. And Nehemiah, he concludes his story with a reminder not to us, but to God. God, remember all those who wanted to make me afraid and stop your work. A final reminder in responding to opposition. We need to hand over to God to deal with those who oppose his work. God's memory is not faulty. All will be held to account an account that will be paid by them if it is not paid by Jesus. The task God is calling North Pine Baptist Church to is a hard one. Is the world transforming one disciple at a time great work and we need God's strength to complete it? Imagine with me what God has in mind, a community full of discipled people. Now, if that's, that's feeling a bit too big to imagine right now, let's just picture that in the area of youth and children's. Let's think about that in just our senior cohort of youth. Imagine the, whole, the impact that a whole cohort of discipled youth could have. Imagine Genevieve, Sarah, Caleb, Gemma, Denzel, Caitlin, Nalia, Jamie, Dylan, Nathan, Liam, Alicia, Max. But let's not leave it there. God has entrusted us with disciples from our community. Imagine Caitlin, Ella, Jackson, Emily, Liam, Hudson, Damon, Jacob, Xanthia. Jesus turned the world upside down with 12 disciples. Imagine what he could do with over 20. Imagine these people with a focus on God that could not be broken by distraction, by false slander, by the temptation to self-centeredness. 
Imagine the witness they could be as their decisions reflect God as their first priority. Where suffering is accepted to avoid sin and participate in God's work. Imagine disciples known for their faith and love for one another. Disciples equipped and supported to be influencers rather than the influenced in their friendship circles. Imagine these young disciples equipped to support and to replicate and multiply their discipleship experience. Who read the Bible with their university and work peers. Who can give good answers to hard questions from the Bible and doctrine summaries like the New City Catechism who 82 times a day respond to their circumstances in prayer instead of checking their phone. Disciples who can beat addictions to gossip and to porn. Disciples who are so grounded in their identity in Christ that they don't need to look for meaning in their body image, in popularity, in sexuality, in sporting success, academic achievement and the pursuit of wealth or experiences. Disciples who have the sword of the Spirit and use it, winning victories through the strength God provides. Disciples that finish the race well, having played their part in drawing many more disciples to Jesus. This is the kind of church God wants to build. But adults, this is the kind of church you need to teach our young people to be. They need you to be the example that they can imitate. And mark my words, young people will imitate you and your faith. And they often do so with an honesty that can be very confronting. For many of us, this might be asking you to disciple this generation in a way that you have not received. And I hope that you will take comfort that young people are very accommodating when you take up this responsibility as a fellow learner, as someone learning to be a disciple, as they too are one learning to be discipled. Unsure where to start? Practice the ABC drill. Ask, get a Bible involved, read, retell, reflect, and commit then meet again and do it again. But start by practicing this in your personal time with God, in preparation for the person God has for you to disciple. Which brings us to our last part of our training, commit. It's now time to commit to what God is saying to you. So what are you going to do? Who are you going to tell? The good news is, I'll see you around next week to ask how you went. Ask me too. And let's practice, let's drill, because now it's time to get to work. Let's pray. Oh God, strengthen our hands for your work. The opposition is real, yet you have equipped us with all we need. Empower us through your spirit. Help us to use our swords this week. 
Help us to ask one another. Help us to read, retell, and reflect. And Lord, we pray that we will commit to responding to what you are telling us. May your church have disciples that know you, that trust you, and that love one another. Amen.